Our scripture passages are both from the New Testament this evening, the first from Romans 13, the first seven verses, page 1306, 1306, Romans 13, beginning at verse 1. Romans 13.1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And then from Ephesians chapter 6, page 1347, 1347, Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 1 and reading four verses. Ephesians 6, 1, children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And your fathers, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. As far as the reading of God's Word in conjunction with it, I invite you to look at the Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Trinity Psalter Hymnal, uh, page 891, Lord's Day 38, in the first column, question and answer 103, Lord's Day 38, page 891. Oh, excuse me, 39. Um, same page, um, Lord's Day 39. What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother, and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that I be patient with their failings. For by their hand, God wills to rule us. Thus far, the instruction from the Catechism. Beloved of the Lord, God has created a world of order. A place for everything and everything in its place. He's created a world where we're called to live under authority. Under His authority. And those whom He places over us. And because God has created a world of order and authority, Satan works very hard to overthrow that order and that authority. 
It's evident in the very first sin that God, who created Adam and then Eve and put them over the creatures of the earth, uh, Satan turns that upside down, uses a creature to tempt the woman who led the man into sin, and the man then answered back to God uh, and tried to excuse himself rather than take the blame that was his proper uh, thing to do. Uh, a complete turning upside down of the order that God had created in the beginning. Well, the fifth commandment, shows that God wants us under authority. Honor your father and your mother, the fifth commandment says. And then the catechism adds something a little, I don't know if it's unexpected to you, but it says, and all those who are in authority over us. And some might wonder how it is that the fifth commandment that mentions only mother and father also applies to civil authorities or church authorities or school authorities or uh, the owner of the business that you work for, who gives you direction and so forth, uh, uh, your earthly uh, workmaster. Uh, why is it that anyone who is an authority, we have to submit because of the fifth commandment? Well, even if you don't see a connection between the fifth commandment and civil authority, for example, uh, you do see a commandment, I hope, in, Ro- in Re- uh, Romans 13 about civil authority and the the need to submit to them. Uh, But there is a connection, and the connection is not hard to understand if you use your imagination a little bit to go back in time to the beginning of human history and imagine the earth uh, under uh, Adam and Eve when the population of the whole world was, say, 50 people. Some uh, children of Adam and Eve, some grandchildren, maybe a couple of great-grandchildren after 50 years, um, uh, or so, they, uh, uh, they have 50 people on the earth. Well, if there's 50 people on the earth, what kind of structure do you think they have? Well, they, they have a clan. They have a, a family structure. They have uh, Grandma and Grandpa, Adam and Eve, who uh, lived over 900 years, and therefore, uh, if the world population is only 50 people so far, They're still very vigorous and active. They're not uh, decrepit with age or anything. And I'm sure that Adam has uh, a good deal of ideas about uh, how the human race ought to develop and what work needs to be done. And these 50 people are his family. He's their father. And he rules them. He tells them what they ought to do. He teaches them what they need to learn. And uh, he leads them in the worship of God. Uh, He's father, but he's also the king, and he's also the the priest, and he's also the prophet who teaches them the will of God. Uh, The priest who leads them in the worship of God, the prophet who teaches them the word of God, and the king who who directs their lives and uh, gives them instruction about how they should live and so forth. So, uh, yeah, there's 50 people on the earth, and father runs the show. But... Now imagine that the population has grown, and it's grown now from 50 to 5,000. Well, Father may still be alive, and he may still be vigorous, I don't know for sure, but whether he is or not, let's assume for, for the sake of argument that he is, there's no way that Father Adam is going to be able to, to govern 5,000 people all by himself. 
By that time, the uh, population of the earth had begun to uh, broaden out from where it started, and uh, people were building cities. And uh, we know that in the ancient world, uh, every city had its own king. Every city had its own priests. Every city had uh, its own teachers. Uh, The parental authority had to be delegated uh, in order that uh, society could remain to function in an orderly way. Uh, the, uh, the authority of a king, the authority of a religious leader, the authority of a teacher, is uh, the authority of a taskmaster is the authority of father delegated and uh, sent out uh, so that uh, there are commanders of tens and commanders of fifties and commanders of hundreds and commanders of thousands and so forth. Uh, that's how you have to do it. You have to take father's authority and delegate it. And so when we look at civil authorities or even church uh, authorities or people at work uh, who are over us, we have to see this as parental authority delegated to them because uh, the family is so big now that uh, one father can't do it all himself. That's how the extension is made from the fifth commandment to all those who are in authority over us. And uh, the Bible makes that explicit in passages like, uh, Romans 13 that commands us uh, to uh, honor those who are in civil authority over us and in Paul's letter there are commands to honor those who are in ecclesiastical authority over us and uh, Peter says to uh, honor the emperor and so forth so uh, we see that the Bible uh, is uh, doing that the same word honor that is in the fifth commandment is given also to civil authorities in the scriptures Now, I want to consider two basic things with you here with regard to this commandment. And that is, first of all, what what are parents supposed to do? What's their their primary task? And there's two tasks that I want to put before you. Uh, And I do that so that we know what it is we're to expect from our parents and and what it is that we're to honor from our parents. When When they do these things, then we need to submit to them. But then the second thing I want to consider is what does it mean to submit to them or what does it mean to honor them? Uh, how do we uh, uh, open up that idea of honor your father and mother? What does that exactly boil down to? Well, first of all, then, uh, the purpose of parents. What, what are they supposed to do? Well, I think we can boil it down to two basic tasks. Uh, we might uh, want to enlarge upon it or uh, divide it a little further. But two basic headings, they, they are to to uh, teach us, and uh, they are to uh, discipline us. Teach us and discipline us. Uh, The parental office is given for instruction, first of all. Uh, We read it in Ephesians uh, 6, verse 4. Bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And that's not a new idea in the New Testament. Uh, Moses taught the same thing in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, He said, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Uh, Parents, you're to teach your children the ways of the Lord. Uh, After the sermon, we're going to sing Psalm 78 that uh, talks about how one generation tells the next generation the wonderful praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Uh, that's the duty of parents, uh, 
to tell the next generation, to tell the children what God has done for us and to show them the way of life. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 6 uh, says, uh, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Uh, then you shall say to your son, and uh, then Moses goes on to say what you shall say. You'll to explain. You're to, to show covenant history and, and, and the terms of the covenant and how God liberated his people and set them free and brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where God would live with them and how this uh, looks forward to even to a greater uh, reformation and restoration of the whole creation where God is uh, redeeming us from sin and redeeming this world from sin. Uh, the calling of parents is to, to show their children that there is no uh, life outside of God. Uh, you should certainly teach them skills and uh, knowledge as best you can for their material prosperity and for preparation for whatever their career might be in the world. But if you don't show them that, that life is found only in Jesus, you might as well give them over to the devil. That's the... Uh, the meaning, I think, of the, of the promise that is attached to this commandment. Uh, so that your days may be long in the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, what is that promise really all about? Well, it's not as if God's saying, if you obey, then uh, I've decided to arbitrarily pick a long life as, a, as a, a, a reward for people who obey their parents. No, what he's saying here is, if parents teach their children what they're supposed to teach them, then a natural consequence will be that they will live long in the land the Lord their God is giving them, both from a material point of view or this worldly point of view, as well as from an eternal point of view. Uh, you know, it's a parent's job to teach the children how to be safe and how to be healthy and how to be productive. If you don't teach your children how to be safe, well, they may not live long in the land the Lord their God is giving them because uh, they may have uh, accidents and some of those accidents may be fatal accidents. And you need to teach your children to be safe. And when mom says to eat your vegetables, she's teaching you to be healthy so that you will live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And when... Uh, when mom and dad teach uh, their children how to make useful, uh, productive, productive use of their time, to be productive, even in their play, uh, they're, they're teaching their children to, uh, to enjoy life. You know, uh, when children take blocks and, and make a tower, you know, they can look at that tower and take Pleasure in the fact that they built something. And even if the only thing they do with it is knock it down and do it over again, uh, there's, there's pleasure in being constructive, uh, putting clothes on a doll and then looking to see how pretty the doll is. Uh, it's, it's being productive. It's being useful. And it's uh, training for life that we're to take our skills, our abilities, our, our interests, and, and use them in a way that is helpful to other people. And when... When you live a, a useful, productive life, when you see that your life is, is helping people, well, there's a great deal of contentment in that. Not only contentment, there's a great deal of joy and satisfaction 
in being able to, to say, I'm doing something that's helping other people. I'm productive with the use of my time and talents and energies. It, it, it tends to give you a, a cheerful heart. One of the hardest things, uh, hardest points in people's lives sometimes is uh, when they get fired or when they retire and they don't have work to do and they're not useful and productive anymore and they get very depressed. You know, the Bible says a a cheerful heart is medicine to the bones. (laughs) And uh, people who are angry and bitter and upset all the time, uh, don't be surprised if if some physical malady uh, is... Uh, soon on the scene and you have symptoms of some uh, disease because it really is true that a cheerful heart is medicine to the bone. So teaching your children to be safe, teaching them to be helpful, teaching them to be productive leads to a long and happy life. But that long and happy life in this world is, is, is symbolic of, of eternal life and teaching them the gospel will teach them to be spiritually safe and spiritually healthy and spiritually productive, not only for this life, but uh, for the life to come as well. Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise uh, for the present life, uh, as it holds present for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, he's not... He's not condemning bodily training there. He says it does have some value. But he says its value is limited to this life. And teaching your children to be safe and healthy and and productive has has value for this life. But teaching them godliness in terms of spiritual safety, spiritual health, and spiritual productivity, uh, that has uh, benefits for this life and for eternity. And and that's how this this commandment works. Uh, Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long. In this life, but especially uh, teach your children the gospel so that they may uh, have uh, eternal life. The uh, parental office uh, also applies to uh, to the church and uh, to the state and that uh, they too have a teaching function. Uh, that's why uh, when you bring your children for baptism, you not only promise to instruct them, but you promise to cause them to be instructed. Because in Ephesians 4, it says one of God's gifts to the church is to give them pastors and teachers. And those are pastors and teachers for the whole congregation to teach the children and to teach the adults. And so because God has given teachers in the church, you parents are to not only teach your children, but cause your children to be instructed. There's... uh, a movement among some uh, evangelicals that uh, the parental office is the only teaching office and that no one has uh, a right to teach my children except me and therefore uh, I'm not going to send my children to catechism. I'm not going to send my children to Sunday school because God gave me the instruction to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, but that that ignores Ephesians 4, that there are pastors and teachers in the church and their teaching is not limited to just adults, but uh, for the children as well. And so the, the church teaches and the state teaches. How does the state teach? Well, it, it passes laws and it has rules and regulations. And uh, when there's pandemic, uh, uh, then the people from the CDC and Dr. Fauci stand up in front of the nation and they, they teach us uh, what we need to do to, to preserve our health and to preserve the nation's health. Um, what they taught, 
History will judge whether they taught the right thing or not, but that they are teaching is a natural right of the state to do. It normally does it through uh, just saying this is legal and this is illegal, and that, uh, that's the way they teach us right and wrong by passing laws. But uh, it can also include other things uh, like we've seen uh, recently as well. And so there, uh, this is a, a function of the parental office, teaching. But the parental office also exists for discipline and for correction or for punishment. It's uh, not just your duty to instruct, but then to imply, uh, to apply and enforce that instruction. Uh, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about uh, discipline. Uh, he who spares the rod hates his son, Proverbs 13:24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Or Proverbs 23:14, punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Or Proverbs 29:5, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. We discipline in love, not in anger. And uh, the uh, one translation of uh, Hebrews of, of Ephesians 6 uh, verse 4 is, uh, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not be harsh with them. Do not exasperate them. And uh, I think the best explanation I've heard with regard to that is always when you correct them, give them hope. Don't be so negative that they feel that there's no way they can ever please you. You know, some children spend uh, the next 80 years of their lives trying to prove that they're worthy of father's love because father was so harsh. And long after father is dead, they're, they're trying to, to prove to themselves that, uh, that father should have loved them because father was so negative and so uh, dour and, and uh, uh, harsh when he disciplined them that he, they got the impression that there's no way I can ever do anything good. Well, you should uh, discipline your parent, children to be sure, but never leave them without hope. Uh, and uh, you do that in part uh, through sharing the gospel and that there is forgiveness and that there is new, new beginnings. Uh, your mercies are new every morning. And so we are to uh, discipline. Uh, however, even the best instruction and correction of uh, godly parents doesn't uh, always yield adults who are productive, useful members of society, a credit to society. There are some who... Uh, mock father's instruction and do not uh, uh, do not heed their father's instruction and uh, become a mocker. Uh, Proverbs 30 verse 11, there are those who curse their fathers and don't bless their mothers. And because of that, uh, the state has a, a function to uh, correct and discipline adult uh, people who are uh, destructive of society and uh, committing crimes and so forth. And the church has a calling to exercise spiritual discipline also. So these are the, these are the two main functions. Education, instruction, particularly in the gospel and in the covenant uh, and in the, the wonderful deeds of God in bringing us out of darkness into his marvelous light and as needed correction and punishment because we are all born with a sinful nature and we have to learn to uh, put that to death more and more. So that's what parents should do. That's what we should be looking to, for them to do. And that's what we should submit to when they do it. But how do we submit? Uh, the commandment is honor. What does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word there is uh, a word that means uh, weighty 
or important. And it, it calls upon children to consider their parents uh, to be important. You know, the, the word really means heavy. And there's a, uh, an old expression from the, the hippie movement of the 1970s uh, where people would see something significant and they say, ooh, that's heavy, man, that's heavy, you know. Uh, meaning that's significant, it's important. And that's, that's, that's what the Hebrew word means. Uh, it's heavy, it's important, it's significant. Uh, you, uh, something that deserves honor is something that is significant and worthy of our esteem and respect. Uh, you know, Rachel in the Bible uh, called her, her father Laban Lord. And King Solomon, when he was king, when he was on the throne, he, he bowed before his mother and uh, uh, honored her. Um, when she asked for something that she shouldn't have asked for, uh, then he said, no, I, I'm not, uh, that's not your business to ask. But nevertheless, he, he, he respected her. He, he disagreed uh, in a respectable way, not in a disagreeable way. He continued to honor and, and respect her. And in the church, uh, Paul writes in First Thessalonians, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Uh, Peter also says, uh, fear God and uh, honor the emperor. He says, esteem them highly for their work's sake. He doesn't say esteem them highly because they are super saints. They are highly sanctified. They are almost sinless. And therefore, you should esteem them. It doesn't say that at all. Uh, ministers and elders put their pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. And they sin every day like everybody else. But for their work's sake, because of the work that they're doing, because they they are engaged in the work of making known the gospel and applying the gospel to people's lives so that people can know the truth that will set them free, both in this life and especially in the life to come, that we might be children of God for all eternity and dwell in his presence. Because that work is so vital, the most important work in the world is, is the work of the gospel ministry. Because of that work, you should esteem them highly and be at peace. It's so easy to to pick apart the, 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 the leaders of the church and try to uh, find some fault with them so that you don't have to listen to them. You know, you say, well, look at the way he lives or look at, look at the car he drives or look at the house that he lives in or, you know, I've heard this about that. This is what he does uh, in his time off, you know. And, and then, then you feel justified in, in, not, in not obeying them when they tell you good things to do. Well, he says, no, be at peace. And... Uh, don't uh, be nitpicking about their lives. Sure, their lives are, uh, are messy, just like your life is messy. But for their work's sake, honor them and submit to them. That's, that's part of what it means to honor, is to esteem highly for their work's sake. Uh, the same with the civil governments. Uh, you know, we can find all kinds of reasons why we don't like the character of our leaders. But when they exercise their office... In a legitimate way, uh, we should honor them and uh, not speak ill of them. Uh, the most amazing example of that is the one in, in uh, the New Testament in the book of Acts where Paul is brought before the Sanhedrin and the high priest 
orders that Paul be slapped in the face, and the man standing next to Paul slaps him in the face, and then Paul rebukes the high priest uh, for breaking the law. And uh, the man says, are you going to talk that way to the high priest? And Paul says, oh, I didn't know he was the high priest. And uh, had I known that, I wouldn't have said that, because the Bible says, do not speak ill of the leader of your people. And uh, the very Sanhedrin that put Christ to death, uh, he says, I should respect uh, the leader of this, this group uh, when he is fulfilling his, uh, his office. Well, another thing that is uh, contained in this honor your father and mother is made clear by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians where he says, children, obey. Obey your parents. Obedience is part of what it means to honor father and mother. And that means obey them when they tell you what to do, even if you think you know better. Uh, The only time that we are ever permitted to disobey those whom God has placed in authority over us is if they command us to sin. But if they simply tell us to do something that we could do a lot better if we could do it our own way, uh, no, if Dad says to do it this way, do it this way. Uh, you may think you know better, especially if you're 17. Uh, you may think you know better, but uh, give it time. And uh, maybe when you're your dad's age, you'll understand better why he said to do it that way. And uh, he is your father, and you should obey him. Uh, we know that uh, when Jesus was a young man, as we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth. And he was obedient to them, obedient to Joseph and Mary. Jesus, at age 12, when he was already able to answer theological questions and solve theological puzzles for the scribes and Pharisees in the temple, who he amazed them with his understanding, he went and he was submissive to his parents. And his parents were sinners, and his parents sinned every day, and he was submissive to them. The obligation extends to all things lawful. And uh, if we uh, reject their lawful commands because we think we're smarter or better, uh, then we open a Pandora's box. I've seen this often with, uh, with adults bad-mouthing the elders in the church or bad-mouthing the minister in the church in front of their children, speaking ill of the, the leader of your people in church. And uh, you have some disagreement with the minister or some disagreement with the elders and mom and dad are discussing it at supper in front of the little children. And the little children listen to that and they listen to it again year after year because it's it's usually a habitual sort of thing. And uh, by the time they get uh, to their majority and they're able to uh, make decisions on their own and do what they want, they say, you know, I don't know why mom and dad put up with that all those years. We don't have to put up with it. We just won't go, you know. And uh, I've seen that uh, repeated uh, numerous times where the, the people who are always complaining in church, uh, their children, when they are of age, reject the church. Uh, you uh, don't serve yourself well or your children well when you refuse to honor and uh, submit to those who are in authority over you. And then there's one other obligation. Esteem them, obey them, and then also show gratitude. Or, you want to put it a little differently, help them when they're in need. Help them when they are in need. 
In Matthew 15, uh, Jesus uh, condemns a practice of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had this practice where if they had a sum of money, a personal sum of money, uh, they could dedicate it to the service of the Lord, but not give it up. They could hold on to it, but they could say, I have set this money aside uh, for the Lord. Maybe they've invested it and the interest is, is going uh, uh, to the temple or to the priests or whatever. And uh, it was called Korban. And then they have parents. And the parents are financially in need. And the parents come and ask for help. And they say, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, the money that, that I could have used, the only money that I have that, that might have been able to help you, I've dedicated it to the Lord. It's Korban. I can't touch it. I can't, I can't use it to help you. And, and uh, it was a way that they literally, they invented this practice to hold on to their money so they wouldn't have to be obligated to, to, uh, to help their parents if their parents were in need. There was no Social Security and there were no uh, pensions and that sort of thing. And if people uh, lived long enough that they became too weak to work, but they didn't die right away, then they became dependent upon their children. And uh, the children didn't like that because they're bleeding off my resources. So let's figure out a way to deny that. And uh, Jesus condemns that because you have an obligation to show gratitude they raised you, they brought you up, and now if they're in need, if they need a meal brought in, or they need somebody to come and help do a little clean, or to mow the lawn, or rake the leaves, then you need to help them. You need to show gratitude. That's part of the fifth commandment. In First Timothy 5, verse 3, it says that children and grandchildren should support their widowed mother and widowed grandmother. And that's uh, putting your religion into practice, and it pleases the Lord. And a few verses later, he goes on to say, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worth, uh, worse than an unbeliever. You know, we live in a, live in a world where, uh, uh, particularly in, in some European countries, even in the Netherlands, where uh, relatives can go to a doctor and say, My parent has lived too long. <laughs> uh, you need to... Uh, to give them some poison to, to kill them, you know, because uh, they're hanging on too long. And sometimes that can be motivated by a desire to get their hands on the inheritance. And parents are a burden. Parents are, are uh, something to, uh, to get rid of uh, in, uh, in our world. But as Christians, we have to show the exact opposite and say, no, I'm here to honor them, to esteem them highly because of of, of what they have done for me and to obey them in all things lawful and uh, to uh, uh, help them when they are in need. Uh, Peter or Timothy, uh, Paul to Timothy uh, gives one other thing that's not uh, necessarily mentioned in the catechism, and it's, but it says pray for those who are in authority over you. Uh, pray for your parents. <laughs> Uh, that they'll be good parents, especially if you're a, a young adolescent and you think your parents are, are uh, out of touch with reality. Pray for them uh, and uh, ask God to uh, help you to uh, do what is right to, for your parents. But uh, pray also for uh, our president, our uh, uh, congressmen and senators, our governors and local leaders. Uh, we need to pray for them. That's part of our showing them respect and honoring them. Uh, such uh, respect and obedience and gratitude is due to all whom God has placed over us. You know, there have been movements in church history where this hasn't always been taught in the church, and uh, our Belgic Confession in Article 36 has a rather strong statement about Anabaptists. 
It says, uh, we denounce the Anabaptists and other seditious people, and in general all those who reject authorities and civil officers to subvert justice. Uh, we uh, denounce this, these uh, uh, seditious people. Now, sedition is a word that got some uh, currency recently uh, because of something that happened in Washington in January and uh, it was called a, an act of sedition. It means an attempt to overthrow the government. And in the 16th century, uh, the difference between the Reformed and the Anabaptists was not just uh, the issue of baptism as it is today. Back then, it was these Anabaptists who... Uh, said that because they were citizens of the kingdom of God, they did not have to obey any earthly authority. And they threw off all earthly authority. And uh, they were rebels. They were uh, anarchists. They, uh, uh, they committed acts of terror and uh, treason and uh, were uh, rightly uh, denounced. Uh, thankfully, uh, their spiritual descendants with regard to baptism are no longer like that, and uh, many of them are our, our brothers and sisters in the faith. And so this doesn't reflect on the current church. But in that situation in the 16th century, uh, there were terrorists, and uh, they were terrorists in the name of the God of the Bible. And uh, we have to denounce that kind of thinking and uh, say, no, we have to have a different attitude toward government. All authority is from God. Uh, what God is commanding us to do here, we need to remember that Jesus did for us. Uh, Jesus submitted to his heavenly Father. Jesus submitted to his earthly parents. Jesus submitted to the rules and the regulations of the temple. He brought uh, the temple tax and paid the temple tax and that sort of thing, even though he was the king's son. He, he uh, did what everyone else needed to do. Uh, he submitted to the ruling council of the Jews and to the governor of the Romans who put him to death, he submitted to them. He did it perfectly and he did it so that he would make up for or supply us with a righteousness that we will never obtain. Every one of us has been rebels. When we were little children, we disobeyed our parents and we sinned greatly. And the only way that we can be forgiven is if those sins are paid for and uh, we're given a perfect record. And Christ obeyed to give us that perfect record. And then he died to pay for our acts of rebellion for all the times we disobeyed mom and dad. Jesus paid it all so that you can be forgiven. And he fulfilled all righteousness so that you can be counted righteous. Thanks be to God that we have a Savior who obeyed the fifth commandment. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this commandment. We pray that we would learn to uh, honor father and mother and to esteem highly all those whom you have placed over us and obey in all things lawful and show gratitude uh, where and uh, help where it is needed and pray for those who are in authority over us. We pray that we may do this in gratitude for what Christ has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen.